Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Coming up on this episode of White Wine Question Time. I suffered so badly from imposter syndrome. I mean, don't, don't we all? I would sit there in that chair thinking, you know, those other dragons are smarter than I am. They've got bigger businesses than I have. They've got more experience than I have. And, and then just assuming every entrepreneur walking through the door, well, if I make an offer and one of those other dragons makes an offer, why would they ever pick me? 15 when we got together and it wasn't even like love at first sight he was the star of the local cricket team I was the scorer he used to go with me dad on a Saturday afternoon he came in the score box asked for my phone number and I felt like going around and waving that bit of paper in the faces of all those tutors who said I shouldn't do it and I couldn't do it and thinking I'll show you who can't do it yet. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a hugely successful entrepreneur who started her business, which now turns over £37 million a year, from her bedroom on campus at university. In fact, by the time she graduated, she was already turning over half a million pounds a year. Born and raised in County Durham, her parents ran the local village paint and wallpaper shop and she headed off to the university loosely with a plan of getting a business degree before returning to possibly work in the family business. However, in her third year of study, she was required to get a work placement. So for a year, she worked in a small local craft company and while she was there, spotted a gap in the market for a tool that could create bespoke envelopes for those who made handmade cards. With the help of a local carpenter and her dad, she designed a product called The Enveloper, which she launched on a TV shopping channel after cold calling them for a spot, selling 30,000 units within six months. Shopping television has been a huge part of her success. She's been selling her craft companion wares on QVC and shopping networks the world over for more than 20 years now and has painstakingly grown the business alongside her husband, Simon. They married in 2007 and shared two children, Charlie and Oliver, who they raised in County Durham. And in 2016, she was awarded an MBE for her services 
to the economy. She's been a dragon on Dragon's Den for four years now and also hosts BBC Two's Ultimate Wedding Planner alongside First Dates, Fred Syriax, as well as having enjoyed a spin or two around the Strictly dance floor when she competed on the show two years ago. She continues to sell her crafts around the world and has a new book out, Craft Your Year, tapping into her years of experience making millions via sticky back plastic, glue guns and pipe cleaners. I can't wait to talk to her. Let's dial her in, shall we? It's Zara Davis. How are you? Well, after a warm-up like that, I tell you what, I'm feeling the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unless I've I've littered that with lies, it's all true. Yes, yes, you say that, but it's not very often someone puts everything together in one sentence like that and just throws it at at you like a big beach ball. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah. But I think everybody should have an intro like a beach ball thrown at them every day because it gets your shoulders back and your head up and it's the best bits of you that you can take out into your day. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll just record that and send it on a WhatsApp and you can have that every morning as as some sort of meditation. I love it. I love it. I could set it to be my alarm clock so my my alarm wakes me up. I can just listen to your voice waking me up. <laughs> I'll even do it in a in a more whispered tone, so it's not such a rude awakening. Oh, it was so nice to talk to you. I've been following your story um, with such interest because it's. I mean, listen, it should be turned into an ITV drama, and Sheridan Smith should be playing it. It's that good. <laughs> do you like Sheridan Smith? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? But look at you. You know, you're a you're a young girl at university. You're still a girl, really with an idea and by the time you leave you've got a turnover of half a million quid and and what would you call the developer an an invention you know people always laugh at me when i say i make my millions selling envelope making tools and i and you know i remember being on gogglebox well they had dragons then on gogglebox once and the guys on gogglebox were like isn't that that girl that made millions selling envelopes and um you know it's if you, the thing is, if you don't craft, you wouldn't get it. But those people who were into craft, who spent hours making these beautiful cards, as soon as I could show them, you can make a gorgeous handmade envelope. And I always say, you wouldn't buy someone a birthday present and then wrap it in an old piece of newspaper, would you not? So why make a beautiful handmade card and not put it in a gorgeous envelope? And as soon as you start and explain, the thing is, so many women, two thirds of all women are into some form of craft. So people can totally connect with it. They just need their eyes open into it yeah it's therapeutic and but also it works because you land it well right you walked in uh to to your work experience your work placement and you spotted a an opportunity because i know it wasn't the egg became came for the chicken is that right you know your love of crafting was born out of your passion for the business opportunity that you found in year three at uni yes i I think that is nobody's ever articulated it quite like that before Kate. but i think you're absolutely right and that my passion was business and most people in our industry craft was their passion and they made their passion or their hobby into a business I didn't I just wanted to have a business I'd seen my parents running their own business and I, and I always say to people running a business it's not a career choice it's a lifestyle choice because it's you know it, it, it's all consuming it takes all of your life it is everything I know and then people go oh, you're so lucky you work for yourself you're like you're kidding me 
I am HR. <laughs> I'm a very tough boss because I don't give myself holidays. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's true. People have no idea. But I think once you choose that path, I just needed to find my industry. And as soon as I stumbled, and it really was a stumble upon that craft industry, my word, I fell in love. I fell in love with the people who crafted because the customers in that industry are so passionate about what they do you know I, it's almost like craft's been like the best kept secret in the world for so many years people you say it used to say crafting a few years ago and people think your grandma knitting you know it wasn't trendy and it wasn't cool and then all of a sudden these last kind of 10 years or something it's had this huge resurgence and all of the talk of well-being and mindfulness and now everybody because wants to know about craft. because it's therapeutic you know you've got tom daly crocheting and, and doing needle point you know and you go okay you know yeah there's a generation that are finding uh, ways to find wellness away from a screen right and so that's something we don't factor in because we're of an age where we can remember life pre-internet but for anybody that's kind of you know born after you, you can't remember a life without screens and connections and uploads and downloads yeah no i, I, I couldn't agree more and i just think you know, for a lot of people, it is, you know, a lot of people start a new craft watching with a bit of screen time, watching a YouTube tutorial, learning how to crochet or, you know, following a pattern or something. But then once you get into it, it is that it is that downtime. Totally, totally. I completely get it. And then you probably found that same level of passion in the ballroom world, because I grew up in the Midlands as you know, and in the Midlands, ballroom dancing was huge. Right. So it was no surprise to me that Strictly became everyone's favorite Saturday night show but because I'd been in that world as a as a young girl and you know my mum had sat there gluing sequins onto secondhand dresses that didn't fit me properly because that's all we could rustle up but I really wanted to go and compete in Wolverhampton you know and, and but again it's it's that same sense of community that you get in the craft world where people are just nuts about it oh yes and and do you know the people who do it it's it's not it's not a hobby it is it's not even a passion it's their life and you don't appreciate it until you're thrust into their world and do you know what it is about the dancing and um, even more so than crafting it's the way it makes you feel and you know i i felt a million dollars not just every time i stepped out onto that dance floor and my hair was all done and my makeup was fabulous but every time i was in aliash's arms just being twirled around the dance because we used to train at like six o'clock on a morning and you know it'd be lovely kind of it felt like the middle of the night. It was still pitch black outside. And we used to dance at this tiny little dance studio around the corner from me. And they just gave us our own key. So we just used to let ourselves in on the morning. We had our little routine. I'd unlock the door and then I'd go and put the alarm off. And he'd he'd go and set up all the PA system, put the music on. And I would get us a cup of coffee ready. And then we'd, we'd just be dancing. And it just felt like nothing else in the world mattered or existed. We were just lost in our own little world. And you feel so good just dancing it's the endorphins isn't it and then the fact that as well i think you know you were partnered with somebody who is just super lovely you know i used to i used to host the strictly tours i think i did the first five years of the strictly tours so i know a lot about the the, the pros and the the setup of strictly and i loved it but i know that when you get a partner where the chemistry isn't quite right that it can be a real struggle but you and ali ash i mean and your husband as well, and Jeanette. It's been a loving. You even go on holiday together. There's a proper friendship that's come out of that. Do you know, he became a huge part of my life overnight. And he knew what he was doing, that lad. And it was he was very, very 
uh, considered and careful in the way he did it. And I can just remember the, the first week, you know, he'd, and it must be a really big daunting thing for the whole family. You know, my kids were nervous, didn't know what it meant. I can imagine my husband probably felt a bit nervous, probably a little bit threatened even, not that he'd ever say that, but I, you, you put yourself in those shoes. And, and I remember that first night I brought Aliash home um, after we'd been dancing. I said, do you, do you want to come back and have tea with us? And pick, we picked the kids up from school. And I remember him saying to me, um, he would pick the kids up from school. He had football cards for them. He was crawling around on the floor playing Lego with them. And then and then I heard one of them shout, oh, daddy's back. You know, he'd seen Simon drive on the driveway. And Aliash just said to me, he says, any chance you can go make yourself scarce half an hour, like take a long shower or something? And I thought, what on earth? So off I went. And obviously he didn't want that awkward moment of the three of us. And he was quite happy to introduce himself. Well, by the time I came out the shower and, and, and had, had done the whole making myself scarce for half an hour, I found the two of them sitting on the sofa with the football on, with a beer in hand, chatting like he'd been mates <laughs> for years while the kids were running around, idolising the ground. You what? He had my whole family eating out the palm of my hand. I remember my dad doing an interview with um, one of the big uh, Sunday magazines, like partway into the show and and Lou my PR was on the call and she said your dad was crying at one point talking about him being like a third son-in-law you know he, he'd become such a part of the family my mum and dad idolised him the in-law the everybody he made himself a part of our family and of course brought Jeanette along because Jeanette was the first year she didn't have a partner because she was doing it takes two so we became a bit of a foursome she'd come up with him on a weekend after we uh, on a Saturday night after we danced and and then um, we'd go for dinner the four of us and she'd be round she'd be in with the kids and and so like I said you know a couple of times last year they actually came away on holiday with us because they, they they're like they're just an extension of the family now they're not they're not friends they are family they we, they've been on this podcast and um i i'm sure that the listeners fell in love with their story as much as i did you, you wish them so well don't you you know they work hard they dream big they roll their sleeves up um there's just there's just nothing to not want to support about those two they're lovely um as well as your 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 fleeting um year on strictly it's now been four years. Is it four years or four, coming up for five years now that you've been in the den? So I've actually filmed my fifth season of the den. You guys haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, but I filmed, as we're recording this, the fifth one's all filmed and in the can, as they say in TV land. Um, but you won't get to see it for a while yet. I think it's the only TV show where, as a dragon, you get asked to go on and you spend more than you earn. <laughs> A colossal amount. <laughs> BBC budget's lovely. And um and it is I mean, my husband calls it my expensive hobby. So, <laughs> and I'm like very expensive hobby. And a lot of people don't realise that it's actually our own money that we're spending, but what it is the BBC wouldn't have that sort of money or those sorts of budgets to spend and they are real life business investments yeah and you and also it's not just that initial investment once you're in you're in the chances are that you're going to need to put more in down the line give time that you just don't have already because you're already maxed out running your own hugely successful business with a broadcast career two young children and your career isn't just UK based. You're everywhere. You're you're on TV in America, in Germany. Um, you're one of QVC's biggest sellers. No one sells more craft in the world than you. And do you know, it, it's funny because I've, I've just spent the last two days actually with my Dragon's Den investments. So I've had all of my investments together for a big two day retreat where we can do a big knowledge sharing activity and, you know, we can run sessions and support them, but then also they can support each other. And, um, 
and it, it was really interesting reflecting on that because a lot of them they they want to understand for me how do you juggle your time how how do you manage the, with the mum guilt and it's interesting isn't it because do you think a man in your position would be asked about any level of guilt on any of those topics do you have parental guilt do you feel guilty that you know you're you're you've pulled in too many directions between all of your successful businesses it's stuff that we we as women feel that we've got to explain but men never do do they you know you're absolute i've never heard of dad guilt also, nobody would even ask them about it. Nobody would no. it. It, it just Nobody goes, Peter Jones, how do you do it? <laughs> I mean, how do you do those school runs? How do you do it, Peter? And it, it is, it's interesting that, you know, I'm I'm really, I'm really lucky in that, um, you know, my, my husband is very hands-on in every regard. You know, he's, he's the, he, so we were husband and wife team running the business. Um, we, we don't have like paid help at home with the kids. We, we like to, to juggle the kids ourselves we've got brilliant grandparent support um but but it means that our our life is full on you know and it, it it's full on taking a lot of a lot of organizing between us but he accepts that you know a lot of a lot of my job i am the front person in our business and i need to be here there and everywhere all the time and so he needs to be the one you know i, I always joke and say I, I run at 100 mile an hour and leave a massive trail of destruction behind me and he comes along with a sweeping brush and he's got a dust buster behind you, you bloody hell <laughs> <laughs> But you're right, as the front woman of the business, I mean, that's a role that you established in a, in a phone call. And I love the idea that a phone call can change everything in your life. And I think that we all have those phone calls. And for you, it was cold calling, ideal world shopping channel and saying, you know, that handmade card hour you've got, I've got the enveloper. I, I can come in and solve a big problem for you. Thank God the person at the other end of the line went, gone then. Because otherwise, would you be here now? I don't know. Do you know, I can be pretty persuasive when I need to. <laughs> and, and so I'm that person, put me in front of anybody and I can convince anybody of anything. I'm, I'm the pitch girl. I fly all over the world pitching, either pitching myself or pitching my business or pitching one of our products or services, selling our products on TV shopping. And, and I just knew if I could get a foot in the door and I could get in front of that buyer, I could talk that buyer into letting me go on a TV shopping channel. And then I just knew if I could get on that channel and I could get in front of people and I could show them how absolutely earth-shatteringly brilliant my envelope-making device was, then surely every single person watching would need to buy one that night. And and I think it's having that that belief. Conviction. You know, and and the, the conviction. It, I, I know my product was awesome. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure not everybody out there needs an envelope maker in their life, but every crafter did. And you put me in front of them crafters and I'm so passionate and enthusiastic and excited about what I've got to show them. And quite often it's that passion, enthusiasm and excitement that carries me through every one of those pictures, whatever it is. But, well, to, to, to quote the lovely Marie Kondo, you're sparking joy in people that are already like have a furnace by way of a passion for something, right? You're, they've made these beautiful cards. They put hours and hours into it, loads of thought. And then you go, and here is effectively the box in which to carry your beautiful work. And it will fit any size card because it's not just any old envelope maker. This one can do this. I mean, it goes, it goes as big as a small. Are you after a job? Because you've got the pattern right down. Well, it's true, though, right? It's true. You can make any card of any size. I was like, she has solved so many problems. This this even reached, like, regal ears, didn't it? Because, 
you, right, you tell the story, but I know that you were given an MBE in 2016. You were literally about to give birth. So your stomach um, was almost poking Prince William in his <laughs> as he tried to, uh, to tried to put your MBE on you. What did he say? I had a 50-pound bump as I waddled up to Prince William. And you know, so you're not allowed to turn your back on royalty. So when I, when I went up to get my MBA, I had to waddle up to him curtsy and then I, I had to waddle backwards again. I, because it's I couldn't dangerous. buy a beautiful dress because I had to buy whatever maternity dress they had, I splurged on the shoes. So the shoes were where the whole budget for the MBA outfit had gone. These wonderful four-inch lubies. So honestly, to this day, they're my favourite pair of shoes. And um, but anyway, I'm sure someone whispers in Prince William's ear, you know, and tell, well, I was going to say Prince William. We asked him Prince William. It's because I keep calling Prince Charles, Prince Charles, and we know King Charles now. So, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's a, it's a change of guard, quite literally. But also, they get briefing notes, and and they are incredibly fastidious and professional. Yeah. They read their notes. Do you know, and, and so as I waddled up to him, he says to me, wow. Well, first of all, he said, wow, that looks like it's coming soon. And I was like, yeah, it really is, this week. And I, I actually went on to give birth two days later. I got the, no. I got the train from London up to, I got I got off at Durham train station went straight to the hospital and they admitted me that afternoon. I gave birth the next day. Um, but yes, but after saying my bump was tremendously big, um, he said to me, that enveloper you invented, that's a great product, isn't it? And and I, I was so taken aback because in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, has, has Prince William been watching me on the shopping channels? And obviously, someone's <laughs> just prepared a really good briefing pack. But in that moment, I it's possible. so excited. And I just, I look back now, and one of my biggest regrets in life is that I'm not quick witted enough to have said something to him like, oh, do, does your grandma make cards like? <laughs> I just wish, I wish if I had that moment again, that's what I said. Does your grandma make cards? <laughs> so, well, he sends enough, doesn't he? So, you know, and that maybe there, maybe there's an enveloper on many a desk in Buckingham Palace. You never know. You just know. don't know. You never know. But who would have thought, eh, that, that that one device that you cooked up with your dad and the help of a local carpenter took you all the way to Buckingham Palace with millions and millions of pounds worth of sales under your belt alongside your husband. I mean, literally, Sheridan Smith leads to play you and tell this story. <laughs> it's great. One day, I love Rodney, it. One day. One day. We'll be, yeah, yeah, and you already are. It's not even we're going to be millionaires. You already are. Um, are you ready to dive in on your first question? Ooh, go on, hit me. You talk about being underestimated and that really resonated with me because I was quite young starting out and found that people would quite often, as was I'm sure your experience, underestimate you, which I think gave us huge advantage. Rather than moan about it, I just kind of seized the opportunity. So I wondered, has that been your experience? How have you been underestimated and how have you turned it to your advantage? I have to say... That, that is the one downside that has come with like a, in inverted commas, a celebrity status is the the best thing about me was I used to love that I was underestimated all the time. The problem is they put you on a big national show like Dragon's Den. Nobody underestimates me anymore. No, well, now they know you're the real deal. Lost the power of surprise, but um, my <laughs> whole life, my whole life. And it was, you know, I was always, I was always the girl that sounded like this. 
And do you know, I'm Northern and proud. So I have never even tried to lose this accent, put a posh telephone voice on. You know, I, I, should I, hope not. I, I just, you know, I can go anywhere in the world and people know where I'm from. Where, and, and the good, the bad, and the ugly, that the people have that perception with it. And so I was all, people always looked down their nose at me a little bit because clearly I wasn't as smart as they were or as well to do as they were because I was from the Northeast. Um, but then also I was, I was always the woman in the room that was all full of men because, you know, essentially, I, I had a manufacturing business. Even just being in business, you, you know, you come across some women, but but not that many. And, and it's certainly not at my age. I was always the young person in the room. So I was always, mm-hmm. I, it was either because I was young, I was a woman, or I was Northern. And um, and I remember even, even before my kind of business days, even at university, I remember I went to York and um, pretty much most of the kids who go to York are the ones that weren't quite good enough to get into Oxford and Cambridge. And they, and they have a chip on their shoulder. And um, and I remember it was quite an elitist course. They'd only took 30 in there. And most of the others had been through private educations. And they did. They, you know, you could just tell they, they'd, they'd grown up with a little bit of a silver spoon in their mouth. And... And, and people just looked down their nose at me. I'd come from a state school. I, you know, I, I didn't walk the walk. I didn't talk the talk. And they assumed I just wouldn't be as good as they were. And I remember it's that that delight when you surprise people. You know, when we got our first set of exam results and everyone was expecting me to be the bottom of the pile and I, and I wasn't. Or when I'm the one that's in a, you know, in, in the, the room and I'm the one that's putting my hand up because I know the answers to the questions. And little by little over the few years, I watched those people underestimate me and, and underestimate me at their peril. And I remember it was, you know, I think people always ask me what my proudest achievement in life was. And it was, I always say I started my business in my last year of uni. So I did the two years studying, a year working in industry, started the business whilst I was in my university bedroom in my last year. And the university course, they were really discouraging of me starting the business. They wanted me to finish my course, to get my degree, to get the bit of paper and then start the business. But that's such an oxymoron, isn't it? Because ultimately you're setting yourself up to start a business and it started so, like, what? And and, and I'm one of these people, if if I have an idea, we're doing it yesterday. You know, there's no yeah. way I was going to sit on my hands and, and wait till I graduated. And and their rationale for thinking I couldn't do it, they'd underestimated me. They didn't assume that I could do the business, build the business and still complete my, complete my university course. And also by the end of my second year, I'd become the, the highest grading student on the course. And so my tutors, yeah, exactly. Go from the one that was barely getting on the course a few years, the, the one they underestimated. So the tutors thought, well, she's not going to complete and she's going to miss out on that first class honours degree. And I remember working my little socks off in my last year. And if I ever think now that I'm busy, I look back on that last year. And I I remember building the business and having to deal with the demands of the business during the day and having to do all of my studies and everything on an evening from my university bedroom. And I graduated at the end of that summer. And not only did I have the business that I'd built up over the nine months, it was turning over half a million, which was bigger than my mum and dad's business. They'd been growing for 20 odd years. It was the fact that I still graduated and got that first class honours and was still not only top of the class, but I was the highest achieving student in the management school. And I felt like going around and waving that bit of paper in the faces of all those tutors who said I shouldn't do it and I couldn't do it and thinking, I'll show you who can't do it, pet. Exactly. Pet, I bet didn't call them pet. <laughs> Might be a bit spicier than that, I hope. Do you know what, though? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're all measured by society standards, be it in our national curriculum, 
that's that's a measurement of you know are you an A student, a B student, a C student, whatever, um, and you kind of get put in a lane. And I think you're a really brilliant example of you know like you said you didn't have the top grades but you had the top drive and you can't measure that you can't measure how far that determination that grit that work ethic can take you and I know you're a big believer in a mediocre idea can fly under the guidance of a brilliant entrepreneur but a brilliant idea will struggle to find traction with a mediocre entrepreneur so I think, you know, you are the embodiment of that. And, and, and isn't it fun when people underestimate you and you know that you've got something in your back pocket to poke them in the eye with? Always. Always. <laughs> I've got more chance to be underestimated now. But the thing is, you know, I can tell you now, most rooms that I'm in, I'm not the smartest person in the room. You know, and, and, I'm, and, and, and I, I, I know that and, and I'm good with that. But I can tell you what, there'll never be anybody in that room who's got a- anywhere near as much drive and determination as what I've got. And I know how to turn that drive and determination out to, to make me the winner in any situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. It's that, it's that self-belief and that, and that pushing yourself forward. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, I'm the cleverest, but, you know, I, I, I didn't come top of that course at university because I was the smartest person on the course. I was just the one who worked the hardest. And it's the same, it's the mm-hmm. same with anything in life. You, if you have enough drive, you'll succeed at what you're doing. So how does that work in a room full of dragons? Because then you are actually arguably in a room full of people that have got that same level of furious determination that you have. So I, I can remember it, it was, I mean, my first couple of years, I suffered so badly from imposter syndrome. I mean, don't, don't we all? And I would sit there in that chair thinking, oh my God, how did I get to be here? I, I, I'm not good enough to be here. You know, those other dragons are smarter than I am. They've got bigger businesses than I have. They've got more experience than I have. They've got a bigger net worth than I've got. What well, You know, whatever it was. And, and then just assuming every entrepreneur walking through the door, well, if I make an offer and one of those other dragons makes an offer, why would they ever pick me? They're always going to pick the others because the others are better than me. And and it was just that lacking in self-belief, which is really out of character for me now. But, but it was, you know, that it was that. But you try sitting in a room with them incredible business people and see, how you feel and I and I think what it is is I've I've carved out my own place in that den and and it's I'm I'm known now for for what I bring to the table and Mm. it's so heartwarming when yeah, you see an entrepreneur walk through the lift doors now. And and now I've been on the show a few years and people know a little bit more about me and who I am and, and what I can do, what I can bring to the table, what I've done for my other investments. And they'll come in and I'm not frightened anymore to take one of the other dragons on. I used to be a little bit apprehensive if I thought, oh, this is a great investment. I think I'll be great for them, but I'm frightened to go up against one of the others because nobody, nobody wants to have their ego bruised. And it's like being the kid in the school playground who gets a blast. That's exactly what it's like. But nobody thinks of the dragons feeling oh, like that. We you... do. We are, and, and, do you know we do? And and I and I remember I would never want to put myself. I would always pull out of if there was going to be a good deal. I thought, oh, they're totally going to go for such and such another dragon, and, and I don't blame them. So I'm I'm just going to make an excuse to pull out of this one. Now I won't. Now I'll go in and I'll fight for it because I know I'm the best dragon for them. You know, and so, so like, when I'm not, I won't. But if I know and I feel it in my gut that I'm the right dragon for them, I'm not frightened to tell that entrepreneur that I am. And because I've learned not to 
take it personally. If they don't pick me and they go with something else, I think, well, do you know what? doesn't mean that I'm not great. It's just that in this moment, they wanted that other dragon for what they had instead or the other dragon pitched a little bit better than I did or whatever it was. But I'm no longer frightened. I'm, I'm, I'm not suffering from that imposter syndrome anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm proud of myself for being there and I'm happy to take on that role. Isn't it interesting that you've thrived on being underestimated and having never underestimated yourself until you found yourself in a room full of like-minded people and then you started to underestimate yourself <laughs> you do you do and then, and then, and then what uh, nobody's underestimating me and i kind of want to be underestimated a little bit yeah. <laughs> shit <laughs> i need i need some of that back please stop expecting so much of me <laughs> Um, well, I hope you continue to surpass all expectations. Um, before we move on to the next question, did you ever feel underestimated by the world of business, especially the world of shopping television? Because I've, I've dipped my toes in and so I have huge respect for what you do. And a good friend of mine who's who's been on the show, Ruth Langsford, came on and talked about her ventures at QVC. I mean, Ruth one of the biggest sellers that they have huge and Brenda Edwards has just been on. She's got a, a line that she's launching with QVC. It's a really smart business model. Did you as an unknown feel that you were underestimated walking in there? And when did you feel like you'd turned that, that around and people started taking you seriously? So what was interesting for me is I really made a name for myself on shopping TV more in America than I did here. So, um, which was good because it meant I could do my, my do my thing over here. But then over in America, no, nobody knew me, and, and I was different because I I talked differently. I had this this cute accent they used to call it, um, and and I remember I used to study the other presenters. I used to watch them. I used to watch their every move. I used to psychoanalyze. It's an Why did I it's feel the way they did? It's so clever, yeah. and, and they put me through so much training. So I spent years and years and years perfecting my craft. But in the US shopping telly is massive you know it's still a little bit niche here over in there they have like nearly 100 channels just of different shopping channels and infomercial mm-hmm. channels and and so it's it's a thing so i guess over there you're not the, the, people aren't frightened to be right up in your face and really ran and down the lens and confident and when you're in that environment and you've, you're surrounded by all these confident people it rubs off and it got whereas over here in the uk we were a little bit more reserved we were a little bit more mm-hmm. humble and everything so then when i brought back all this stuff i'd learned from doing so much tv in the us and 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 put it on tv here and then actually i tell you what was invaluable for me doing tv in germany because in germany obviously i don't speak any german yeah das ist sehr gut as about as far as I can get. Um, so how do you do it? So they have somebody sitting in a little box in the corner where she sits like in a little cupboard all um, sealed off and they live lip sync you. They literally live lip sync, right? Now, here's something I learned, okay? So the way that channel works is they only want German speaking on there, but they wanted me because I am my brand and, you know, I know my products better than anyone else. So lovely Linda has been working with me for like over 10 years now. She sits in the cupboard and as I'm speaking, my voice, my mouth opens and Linda's voice comes out. And the problem is, what I've learned is, did you know that only 7% of the... um the, what someone hears when you speak to them are the actual physical words that you say, right? The other 93% is, so 50-something percent is all your body language. And then this 30-odd percent is your intonation. 
And then the, the actual physical words are very, very, it's 7%, right? So what I learned to do and what I taught myself to do a bit more is over-accentuate all of my body language. So the, if I if I know people buy my products because I get super excited and you can't, you need to know I'm super excited. So I need to articulate it with my body language. And if I need Linda to, uh, poor Linda is having to listen to what I'm saying and physically translate it in that moment in the English goes into her ear out that German comes out of her mouth so if I want Linda to get excited I have to really G up the excitement <laughs> and so I'm just I learn to over exaggerate everything so that well that's performance that, isn't it's it just, and it's performance and because I, I'd learned that I think bringing that then into my presentation in, in the UK shopping channels you know I, I, I am just I've learned to dial up whatever I feel inside I've learned to dial it up through every other one of my senses so it's not just what I'm saying um, and then you you compound that with the confidence I've got from doing the US I just I kind of became this stealth like growing my presentation skills and like you said you know something else I'm incredibly proud of there's there's nobody in the world can sell craft stuff on telly like I can you are I believe the most successful in your field thank you I've worked a lot of years to get there. That's not that's not an accolade that happens overnight. Like I have studied the people who are the most successful in their field in every area of TV shopping and learned how to model myself on them. And you know, you know, those shows. So when you get so a, a TSV, right, is like the holy grail in, in QVC land, isn't it? So the TSV is today's special value. Now, if you get a TSV, you're kind of there for hours. You're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. And you keep you keep going back, selling your TSV, your TSV. But the numbers translate into huge profit, don't they? What's the sort of... Like, if you get a TSV in America, what kind of numbers can you expect to do? I think my highest ever grossing hour, I did well over half a million in sales in the hour. Wow. Selling craft things. Sorry, I'm sure there's a better terminology than things. Stuff, we sometimes say. <laughs> Stuff, there we go. There you go. Um, yes, yeah, selling our craftwares. Yes, it is. Half a million quid in an hour. In an hour, yeah. And, and I think my, my, my biggest ever day, I did um, 3.2 million of sales um, on the day. You know, just being on and off every, every couple of hours, I'd do another 20 minutes in that hour, then I'd do a full hour here and... It's, it's astronomical. People have no idea the power of shopping TV. And, and as a result, all of the products that I develop, I develop them to be sold through the medium of TV. Most of my products, you walk into a craft store and you see it hanging on a shelf. See that enveloper hanging on a shelf? You'd have no... Well, no. You wouldn't have a Scooby-Doo. I'll just buy that pack of white envelopes for two ninety nine instead. Whereas when you're on shopping TV, you, you, paint the, you, you sell the problem. And then once you've solved the problem, your your product's the solution to the problem. But you you can explain that to people. And, you know, people who, uh, so many people over here just don't understand how amazing shopping TV. I mean, I'm a, like a shopping TV buying addict because you watch the show. You know, it's terrible when I'm down at QVC. I spend a blooming fortune. And it's volume, right? They can, they can buy huge units, which allows them to give really competitive prices to their customers. But when you're in the green room there, so you can see if you're about to go on and do your hour... You can see who else is on at the moment. You, know, you can see their sales live on the screens. 
it's like it's like being in the city. You're like, oh my god, they're really shifting units. Look at that TS fit; it's going through the roof. And and then you know you get in the car to come home, and you've got some sort of ninja fryer, a bloody leaf blower, and you realise that you're you're no better than anybody else. You've got sucked in on all those deals too. That's it. That is it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for your next question? Hit me. You and Simon have been together since you were 15, and we've seen you share your story of how you grew your business together. But can you tell me how you've managed to grow your marriage and remain on the same page all the while working together? Because to grow together, to stay on the same page in a world that is ever-moving, ever-changing... I just don't know how you've done it. How have you done it? What's your recipe for marital success? You know, the irony is, I always say, me and Simon are like chalk and cheese. We are the complete opposites in every regard. And I always joke and say, it's not that we're not on the same page. It's that we're in different libraries. Not all, not different books. <laughs> we're, we're, so, we're so different like that. Um, but, but I can tell you exactly what, what it is that's worked for us is I think our whole relationship everything we do is just built on respect ultimate respect and, and ultimate trust mm. and 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 I, I just remember so like I said we were 15 when we got together and oh I can just see him walking up the stairs in the office bless him doesn't know I'm talking about him um <laughs> 15 when we got together and it, I, I, I would it wasn't even like love at first sight he was the star of the local cricket team I was the scorer he used to go with me dad on a Saturday afternoon he came in the score box asked for me phone number said he could give us a lift to the next game and then when he rang us asked us out on a date I was like Sorry, why, 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 why would I, why would I want to go there with you? Because there's not a game on. I thought you were just 
giving us a lift to the game. And he he did. He chased us for a few weeks, convinced us to to have a look out with him, and then and then the rest history. Twenty four years later, and um, twenty four. Wow, twenty four years. It was just it was our sixteenth wedding anniversary just a couple of weeks ago, and um and it's it's one of those things. It's we we we're so different, but we have this total respect of, of what the other one does and brings to the table. And for me, so I because I, I was fifteen, he was nineteen. Uh, he's always had them, you know. He's been a few years older than me at a different stage in his life in some respects. So so when I was at university and started the business, he'd already graduated and he'd you know he he's he earning he was starting to earn, so he was saving money so that we could buy our first house. So by the time I graduated and finished university, he'd saved up enough to pay a deposit on our house because he stayed living at his mum and dad's house even though he didn't want to so they could save all of his wages and I started the business and I could we could afford for me not to have to draw a wage from the business because he could afford to pay our mortgage and essentially keep me so that so that I could put everything back into the business and and then he supported me emotionally as well as financially through that stage and and I remember it was a few years later, we were coming to get married and we never saw each other. We were like ships that passed in the night. He had this huge corporate job, worked for a big European company, used to travel quite often midweek. Uh, I would go, I was building my brand, doing a lot of consumer shows on a weekend. So quite often I would go away on a Thursday or Friday when he would be getting home and I was away. And then I'd land back, you know, 12, one o'clock on through the night, Sunday night, and he'd be leaving again on a flight getting up at four o'clock on the Monday morning. So we were just ships that passed in the night. And and I remember um, it was just one day he, he came home from work and he said, I've worked at, we were going through a really um, challenging patch in the business. I was I was going through a big legal battle defending one of my patents. And it was it was quite clear I'd, I'd kind of hit breaking point in the business in terms of, um, I don't have all the skills that you need to run a business. And I'm not shy to say that. I know what I'm great at, but then I know what I'm not great at. Now I'm, I'm the front woman, I'm the ideas woman. And so I'm out there doing the jazz hands, doing the pitching, developing the products, doing the sales. And, um, and I, you know, there's no, there was no Simon behind me sweeping up all the pieces in 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 the business because because he, he he had his own job, and he just came home one day and he said, um, I've, I've I've handed my notice in. I've worked out there's enough money because he was an accountant, so he'd he used to run all the accounts for the business. He says I've worked out there's enough money we can draw down. We owed one hundred and forty thousand pounds on our mortgage. He says we can draw down the hundred and forty, pay our mortgage off. We can live if we take a, a wage of ten thousand pounds each. We can afford to live on twenty thousand pounds if we don't have a mortgage to pay. Um, so then he said, I, you know, I, I'll come and run the business, and you you go and do your thing in the business. And and the thing is. He loved his job. He was, he loved the company. He'd been on a fast track through management. He was really going places. He used to get up every morning, freshly shaven, shoot, shirt and tie for work. Whereas I look now, he hasn't had a shave in 15 years. Um, <laughs> and he went from, from that and that life to come in and, you know, he was managing multi-million euro businesses and um, um, business divisions to running a business that had eight staff and, and a couple of million turnover and I can, taking 10 grand a year taking 10 grand a year salary and I can see that that wasn't fulfilling for him like that wasn't a fulfilling career and a fulfilling job but he was prepared to do that because it was the right thing for us as a family you know and he said mm. we, we'll do this we'll give it our all for the next few years if it doesn't work I can always go back and get another job like that but this is the only way we can have a life 
and we can see each other together. We'll put everything into the business. And then in a few years time, you'll be able to take a bit of a step back and, and have the family. And, he, you know, he kind of sacrificed what he wanted to do and his life plan so that we could have the best life plan as, as, a, as a family, as it was. And he still mm. does that to this day. You know, everything he does, he, he does what's right for our family. And, and I think for me, I would never, ever in a million years have ever asked him to do that. Why should he give up his career so I could have mm. mine? But I didn't have to ask him. He just did it. And, and I felt this weight on my shoulders for all these years of my motivation then became I wanted to grow the business so that it was big enough to justify his skill set and so that he, it would oh. be big enough for him to enjoy running it. I wanted to make the business the size it was for him to have that career satisfaction and fulfilment again because he'd given up his career for me. And that drove me for years. And we never ever discussed this. It's not that we're not big talkers, means well, I, I am, I don't talk for England. And um, Simon, probably just because he's never got a word in Edgeware for 24 years. <laughs> he's stopped trying. He's, he's not a talker. <laughs> And, and so we never talk about feelings or anything like that. And, and I, but it, I always held on to that. And it's it's the same in our everyday life. I, I have so much respect for everything he did for me to be able to have this life. And, and he has an enormous amount, uh, amount of respect for a lot of the sacrifices I make now for the business to be successful, which affords us the life that we have as well. And we're, we're just, we're a brilliant team. Have you ever said to him what you've just shared with me? Um, I've I I couldn't find the words to say that to him. Like that that would, that would, would feel awkward. But I can tell you, I, I did so eight years ago now. It was our 10th business anniversary at work. And we had this huge, big do. And we flew in all of our top customers and suppliers and staff from around the world. We had 300 people. Yeah, you have, you have, you have staff in different countries, don't you? You're, you're, you employ about 200 and something? Yep literally all over the world offices in California so I, I flew all these and this was eight years ago so it's our 10th birthday flew them all in and I stood up on stage and, and I wanted to do a speech for the, the, the kind of 10 year history of the business e a laugh this is totally me so I, I'd, I'd put myself 45 minutes in the schedule and um, we were we were about 50 55 minutes in and they're trying to tell me to wrap up and I was on year two <laughs> And I shouted off to the compare, you can wind your neck in, mate, because it's my gig, it's my business, and I'm going to keep talking. And fairness, I, got, I got to about an hour and 15 minutes, I galloped through the last eight, eight, eight years of the business. But but I, at that point, I, I'd explained to people like a, a little bit of this about, about the dynamic and, and, and the how it feels when I, I know that I, I'm the one that everyone looks up to in the business or on, in this group people see me on TV, they see me in Dragon's Den and they only see me. I'm the front one. What they don't see is, is I'm one half of a team and this this version of me wouldn't exist and, and wouldn't be this good if it wasn't behind it. You know, behind every, I'm a firm believer in that whole thing, behind every great woman, there's, there's a great man ma- making it possible. And he's just, he's, he's not, there's no ego. He's not bothered about being the front guy. He doesn't mind being the guy in the background that nobody knows. And, and I and I spoke about that to that room of people and got, and got quite emotional. And I think it's the first time, I, so I couldn't say it to him, but I could say it to other people with him in the room. And that's the first time I managed to ever say that, yeah. That's lovely. I think yours is the most extraordinary sort of uh, romance. The way that you're, I mean, I think a therapist would call it your love language, but you do it through sort of, you, you do it through business moves. It's like, you know, okay, I'm going to quit my job and come and support you. Okay, well, then I'm going to make the biggest business so big, it's going to be worth that justification. And actually, when you rewind it all the way back, the reason you ended up in craft and you came up with the enveloper was because 
in your year away, you didn't want to be away from him. You didn't want to go to London and find a job and be away from him. So you found a local business that just happened to do craft, which enabled you to still be in your relationship with him. So it's something you two have always done. Yeah, we, we, we always like to be together. We don't live in each other's pockets. I don't know what's going on in his life all the time and vice versa. You know, we, we, we're quite indep- independent in some ways. Um, but yes, I, I, I like to, we're together all the time you know that's that's what we do and and, and I, I couldn't think of anything worse of having to I, I chose York University because it was far enough away from home to justify the tens of thousands of pounds my parents were going to have to spend on but uni but close enough to home that I could still see Simon every weekend so yeah you've always been one half of each other yeah and it's all I've ever known now you know I can't remember because it's since I was 15 so I, I've never known life without Simon really how do you how do you um how do you align yourself as parents because that's always a different dynamic isn't it suddenly you think that oh well we're on the same page in business we're on the same page in our relationship is is it the case with the boys do you know I think and I understand now why why our relationship why our relationship works so I've got an amazing leadership coach she's worked with me for five or six years now does a lot of coaching one-to-one with me and with the senior staff in our business and she's helped me understand the things that just my my gut tell me and she boils everything always back down to values and what I realize now is you know I've out of all the boys I could have picked or out of the you know he was my first boyfriend so technically the first boy that chased me that I decided yeah he's quite nice I'll go out with him um actually it's because we have the same values we, we've we've been brought up very very our parents are very different very different as people but they've got the same underlying values and we've been brought up with those same family values and now as we bring our kids up we never disagree on the values that we're bringing our kids up with and i think everything else is just noise the values is all that really really matters and so it's you know it's and it's really hard i can i can tell you so I think the reason we are grounded, if I speak just for myself, the reason I'm as grounded as I am is, is the upbringing I had. You know, we, we didn't have two bob and a conquer when I was little. You know, I was the kid that, that went to school in the Adidas four-stripe tracksuit bottoms and, you know, they'd have to get me. I, I, my, my new school bag every year came from the car boot sale, you know, and I, and, and I didn't mind that. You know, it was, it was who I was and we certainly couldn't afford to have big family holidays. You know, my dad had a transport company, so every winter he used to get one of the vans um, that was decommissioned and he, he would go to the tip, get an old caravan from the tip and then he would spend the winter fitting the bits from the caravan into the, the old van and we'd use it as a camper van and, and go camping in the summer. That was our summer holidays. And... I think it's stuff like that that is that has made me the person that's made me appreciate money the way I do and appreciate real family values and and I want my kids to grow up that way now you know I could afford to put my kids first class on an airplane to the most expensive luxurious five-star resorts in the world but what's that going to teach them about life and so you know and and we don't we don't ever argue on this stuff you know not, neither of us want to do that with our kids mind mind I tell you what Simon will not camp so I was going to say, he's he's all behind you until he has to like get in a camper van, and then he's like, "You take the boys, and I'm I don't know what does he do? Go to the Maldives." <laughs> so, uh, 
thankfully he's not a big holiday person. So I spent the first two weeks of the summer holidays touring around Scotland in my homemade camper van that my dad built for us, uh, whilst Simon just stayed and worked. And it was uh, yeah, so it was me and the two boys in my in my, in my camper, and my mum and dad in their camper. Thankfully, I had some help with my mum and dad. But uh, yeah, he just he will not he will not entertain the idea of of camper van. But little things like you know when we do go away on a holiday, I always say you can hear people whispering in the airport. Our local airport, they only do a couple of flights uh, a day. It's tiny, and I can remember I can hear someone going, "Oh my god, I'm sure that's that last off Dragon's Den," and someone else is going. Don't be stupid, it can't be. They've only got a Ryanair flight out of here in the next two hours. She's not going to be on that, is she not? And, and I am, you know, I am on that Ryanair flight because that, that, that's just the normal stuff. How has money changed you in success as a couple? Because, I mean, you made, you've made serious money. You've made life-changing sums of money. And you've just explained how you try to not let that impact the values that you hold dear. So it's obviously a conversation you've had. It is, and it's, it's, it's finding that, balance around you know so so we're lucky that we can afford to send our kids to private school and they go to a wonderful school near us and the the money that we earn affords us that luxury to do that but it doesn't mean that I want my kids I I was I because I I had a a regular state education and and Simon had a, a private education and he saw the value that he got from you know the smaller class sizes and the more one-to-one time they get and and he actually started a savings fund to pay for our kids to go to private school when we'd been dating for three months so i was 15 and my boyfriend was put he'd set up like an isa with the bank to start saving for our kids to go he is a strategist and a great saver it's good isn't it but but he'd he'd been to private school but not because his parents could have afforded to pay for it but he'd got a scholarship and I think he really felt grateful for that opportunity he'd been given in life and he wanted to work hard to give his kids the same opportunity and I think that's what we, we want to give them the opportunities we just don't want them to have a lavish lifestyle that'll mean that they don't appreciate or value the things that we believe are, mm. are, are important no sense of entitlement no that that's the way to put it, no sense of entitlement yeah oh well, well sounds like you're managing your millions very well and you've worked very hard for them, so good on you. I think we get so British sometimes about money. And I think people are more likely to talk about their sex lives and their financial lives, which is extraordinary, isn't it? But you know what? You're self-made. You shouldn't have to reduce your achievements so that it feels more comfortable for other people. Congratulations to you both on your extraordinary success and may many more millions fall into your lap. Thank you. You know, it's the first time someone said it to me like that. And you're right. You don't like to talk about it. You don't. But but the problem is, you know, and I do it sometimes and I know I shouldn't, but I go and Google myself so that I can see what people are Googling about me. Don't do that. That's self-harm. But it's every time. It's just, it's always Sarah Davies net worth. That's all anybody ever wants to know is how many millions is that girl worth? Or when I did Strictly, I I, I would be Sarah Davies, Argentinian tango. I was like, yes, come on. (laughs) um, Who's worth a bloody fortune. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't want that to be the thing that defines me. No, but in so many ways, why not? Because in America, they would be shouting this from the rooftops. They celebrate success and they wear it um, really proudly. And we don't. We sort of, you'd be more likely to talk about being a millionaire if you won the lottery, because that seems okay. You're just lucky. But actually, you're just bloody hard working. And you came up with a solution that loads of crafters thought was 
you know, brilliant. Even the future King of England commended you on it. <laughs> you know, you say that about the lottery. I can, I can always remember one of my, uh, one of the things I really hate people saying to me is when people say, oh, you're lucky. And I think it's not luck. It's, it's really hard work. And I can remember once it was a, you know, a few years after, I think I was in you after I'd graduated from uni, that's right, yeah. And I went to, um, I met up with a couple of the girls I'd been at school with like 10 years earlier. And I had, I'd, I'd bought myself my first little fancy car and it was a, it was a Merc hard top convertible. And I pulled up to this party in me Merc hard top convertible. And one of my friends came out and she like leaned herself on the bonnet in a half drunken state. And she went, oh, you're so lucky, you. You and Joanne, you've been so lucky. And and I and I could have hit the woman. And so, so to give you the context, the other girl, Joanne, who she's talking about, her dad had won the Irish lottery. And so she she just put me in that camp of, you know, you and you and Joanne, you've got all this money now because you've got your money and Joanne's dad's won the lot. And I and I just remember being incensed at that that time. And since then I've hated people saying, You're lucky. And don't get me wrong. Every business that's got to this stage is that it's sprinkling of luck somewhere along the line, you know, sprinkling of magic. But it's not luck that gives you the, that puts the millions in the bank. It's bloody hard work. Absolutely. Which takes me nicely to my final question. Hit me. In Dragon's Den, you offer up not only your money, but also your time and your acquired wisdom, mentoring businesses and business owners. But who have been the mentors and the greatest teachers that have crossed your path and what did they bring to your table? So I get asked about mentoring all the time and I think it is so critically Mm. important. And I'm a big believer in that you are a product of the people you surround yourself with. And And I've chosen actively to surround myself with certain people or I, or I make more time in my life from from certain people and and it's either people that I look up to and I'm learning from or actually as, as I've developed in life and it's it's less that I, I come across those people less in my life it's people who fill my tank up a little bit that's how I describe it yeah. you know it's like every time I spend time with Aliash it just fills my tank up you know, he's just, he's, he's got all that to give and all that love and it just makes... It's like a B12 of friendship, isn't it? it? Is. It's like, oh, I feel good now. Yeah. Like a shot in the arse. Yeah. But it's it's just, I, I always think you'd be very selective. You, you, you'll you all know, you'll have those friends who are the ones that are, they just feel like they've been dealt a hard hand in life and they're just a bit of an energy suck. And every time you see them, they're a little bit negative. And, and, and trust me, spending time with them, they're a leech. They'll leech your energy out. Mood hoovers, yeah. And I... I just and I just choose not to spend my time with them, but um, the, but the counter of that is yes, is is mentors and people who've been impactful. And I always say mentors fall into two categories: it's the ones who know they're mentoring you, and the ones that don't. So, for mm. example, you know, I have been. I, you don't become the best in your field at shopping TV without having been mentored a lot. You know, Ruth Langsford has mentored me in the world of shopping telly and never, never known a thing about it. She didn't know that I spent hours and hours and hours watching her shows. You know, analysing how she made me feel, why she made me feel that way. How am I going to be more like Ruth? How can I learn? From, and so, but, but I would. This is long before I met Ruth. I knew Ruth as a person, but I was watching mm-hmm. her and. and I was I was learning because she actually started on shopping well she didn't start on shopping telly but she did shopping telly 
before going on to do things like this morning, right? Is that have I got that right? Travel shows and things, is that right? Travel deals, I think. You you might know more than me. I just know I've these they you know, as I've been going, I've been watching a lot of Ruth Langsford and, and building building that up. And you know, it's the same with so many people. All you know, you can like Duncan Bannatyne. Because he, I just, I read his autobiography. It really resonated with me. And I watched his short, you know, from being on Dragon's Den very early, I watched everything he did. And, and I really, I would I would model myself on a lot of the behaviours he, he would do in, in business. And not the ones I didn't like, the ones I did like, I would take. Mm-hmm. And so many mentors I, I use like that. But then also there's, there's people who do know that they're mentoring you. So I can tell you, for example, just looking at a few of the other dragons, you know, we had Theo Pafitas. He was never in the at the same time as me but he came and did a guest spot on my first year and then on my second year filling in for some of the other dragons he is an incredible man and he really took me under his wing and you know i i remember a couple of times we, we went out to dinner and he would be so giving of his time and, and i would talk to him about challenges I'm, I'm having in my business and he would give me his advice and opinion and he was a brilliant hands-on mentor and, and tuka Duke was Solomon, one of the other dragons. You know, on my first day in the den, I walked into the den and he had done my screen test. And I said to him, I don't know if you remember me, you did my screen test. He said, oh, I remember you, love. He said, I told the BBC, she's the one you need to hire and I'm glad they listened to us. And I said, well, brilliant. Um, I said, but I've got no idea what I'm doing now. So I've decided you're going to mentor me if that's okay. And I, and I certainly find as a younger woman, you say that to a, an older man in your face and it, it, I saw his little chest puff out. And he was so thrilled that I was there and I wanted to learn from him. And and I, but I always say with mentoring, set out the rules of engagement you know because people don't know what what does mentoring me i was like gonna have i got time to do it and i said to him all i was hoping was you know after every pitch we do in the den and we're having a cup of tea in the green room will you just give me a bit of feedback on how i did and maybe it's where i could have done better or what you thought about that and essentially i'm giving him permission to to criticize me because most people don't want to give you feedback because you, you just don't walk up to somebody, else, especially a colleague like that, and say, do you know what? You could have done this a bit better. But how am I ever going to get better if someone doesn't tell you? But actually, you're asking him to coach you and produce you. It's I mean, it, it can take the form of criticism, but how, how else do you get better? How else do you get better? But, but like, yeah. so I wouldn't dream of just going up to, you know, Stephen Bartlett was the next dragon that started after me. I wouldn't just go up to Stephen in the green room and go, do you know that pitch? If you just phrased it like this and come across like this, I think they would have been a bit more engaged. I wouldn't dream of it. But if he'd said to me, could you give me some feedback on how you think I'd I'd be delighted to give him all of my feedback. And I think it's just about being, you can only improve through feedback. And so I I try and create environments with people where they feel they can give me feedback. And that sort of person who wants to be open to feedback and feedback can come peer to peer level. It can come from people above you. You know, my chairman in the business um, mentors me a lot and does a lot of feedback with me. People below me, I I encourage a lot of my staff to feedback to me as a leader. You know, how how could I be a better leader in in that in that environment and, mm-hmm. and that's how you become better at, at whatever you do so i think it's so so critical to surround yourself with the right people but also cr- create an environment where where you you are able to get feedback and keep sen- continually improving every day is a school day kate every day is a school day especially in a world that changes so quickly now we have to be so nimble yep to be able to adapt. I mean, when you launched the Enveloper, the internet wasn't a place where you sold stuff. No, it wasn't. But, and now look, you know, yeah. 
it was all about oh could we shop it was shopping tv and can you get on the high street well you know high streets full of restaurants now <laughs> and now i need to be getting down with the kids and making envelopes on tiktok instead or something you know it's you exactly to the world exactly and um, i think you know i say to my son quite a lot and i'm sure um this will resonate with you with your children at the age they are now you'll probably end up doing a job that hasn't even yet been invented <laughs> so how do we prepare you for a future that is so unknown all you've got to do is just learn the basics but you know stay stay alive to opportunities that have yet to even sort of realize that they are one yes because <laughs> yes. that's the world we live in but what's interesting is, is, you know, you are a business leader. You sit at the top of the tree alongside Simon with your business. And yet you have actively sought a business coach because you've recognized that actually I need somebody to grow me. I can't just grow this business. I've got to grow with it. Otherwise, you get left behind or the business gets left behind. Something, something's going to grind yeah. and not work. I think, um, and I see it a lot in entrepreneurs now. I think the biggest thing holding back any entrepreneur is, is themselves in, in thinking mm-hmm. that they are they are the finished article and they are as good as mm-hmm. they can be you know and it, it's it, you've got to be on that path of continuous self-development and improvement you can always be better and there is always somebody out there that's better than you and the only way to keep staying ahead is, is to keep learning you know I, I, I've been I'm not being shy in saying you know I'm brilliant at what I do on TV shopping doesn't mean I don't work really hard every day at how I get a little bit better. I still seek feedback from all of my producers, other presenters I work with. I still mm. psychoanalyze other people I watch on TV. Why are they good? What can I learn from them? How can I tweak and adapt my style a little bit further? Because you're still driven. Yeah. You're still curious. You're still interested. You're hungry. Hungry. You've got to be. And the day you stop being, Craig, I don't even imagine what that would look like. Retirement. Retirement? Who do? I couldn't imagine retiring. I'm sorry, I feel like I've just insulted you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, thank you. Good luck with the book. It's full of everything that you've learnt across the years by way of crafting. Beautifully demonstrated. My mother is going to be all over it like a hot rash. You wait. This place at Christmas is going to look like your place at Christmas. (laughs) I'll wait to see some pictures. Yeah, don't worry. They'll be all over the grid. My huge thanks to Sarah. What a fascinating lady she is. Her new book, Craft a Year with Sarah Davis, is out now and is available wherever you get your books. For more chats with some of the brilliant men and women that Sarah's worked alongside, we've got episodes in our back catalogue with Jeanette and Ali Ash from Strictly. Head Judge Shelley Ballas is in there, Craig Revel Horwood from the Strictly panel, Fred Syriax and Ruth Langsford. They are all residing in our back catalogue, ready for you to wrap your ears around them. I'll be back on Tuesday, uh, back on your feeds with another midweek serving of vintage chat with another episode of Something from the Cellar. Until then, thanks so much for your company. White Wine Question Time is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 